you guys. That was awesome. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation 19 this morning. If you want to turn there, and when you have when you've landed, just go ahead and stand, and we'll start with that. Revelation 19, we're going to go uh, verses 1 through 16. Okay, looks like that's most of us. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and have avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he hath unto me. These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet, feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See, thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it they might smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We believe that. And Father, we also know that if we could see you, we would be absolutely overwhelmed with fascination. And we would have no struggle in being fixated upon who you are and what you are. And so Lord God, this morning as I 
am obedient to share what I feel that you've given me to share. I pray, Father, that what I do share, that your spirit would come behind me and vindicate. And Holy Spirit, we trust you to open our eyes to see and to draw us that we might run with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. Uh, this, uh, I had worked hard all week, spent a lot of time on a message and had all these things written out and, and then got here this morning, was going to just finish up a couple things, felt good about where I was going and, and he just switched it all. I mean, not totally, but I had to start over. So uh, he seems to just, so I just am, I, I believe the Lord told me to say this, so I'm going to say it. I feel like I had something fun to say before. So uh, it was hard to let go of it. But I do believe this is what I've been crying out for myself personally. And I want you guys to know that I, what I preach, I do my level best to do. And I fall short, but I don't preach at you or down to you. I am beneath you as best I know how, trying to do the things that I hear God telling me to say and do. Uh, and so the last two weeks, I say that to say this, the last two weeks uh, doing a lot of preaching as I have, uh, I've been impacted by my own preaching. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's not because, it's because I really do feel like I hear things to say and I say them, and, but then I'm, then, then I'm really caught up in them. I, I've got to follow through with what I've said and it's a, it's, it's a part of me. I don't know if I can say that well enough to say it's a part of me though so the last two weeks I've been taking the things that have been coming out of my mouth and and doing them the best I know how seeking God's face wanting to know him more needing understanding that I've got to be filled with more of Jesus it's just the bottom line I'm getting overwhelmed with this thing I've got to have it I've got to be fascinated I've got to be filled and so a couple of weeks ago, talked about a message where, you know, sort of the thing that came for, for me was spring up a well within me. More Jesus, more Jesus, spring up a well in me. See, and I'll pray that all week. I'll just kind of all through the week, all through the day, I, I, I'm, I'm, I get fixed on it and I'm saying it. And then last week I talked about that we have these, uh, you know, from 1 Corinthians 3, we have these egos that are empty and painful and busy and fragile and uh, you know that we don't need uh, just better self-esteem or, or we don't need to go from low self-esteem to high self-esteem we just don't need self-esteem at all we just need to be filled with Jesus that's the only way to get unhooked from this up and down uh, game that is played as, as, a, as a human I just need Jesus to fill my ego with himself. Nothing else will do. I need Jesus in my heart. Just whatever it takes. More Jesus. I mean, whatever it takes. What does it take? More Jesus. I need Jesus in my heart. I've been praying these things. 
send the Spirit now for the glory of Jesus Christ's sake. More, Lord. More. We need more. Jesus in me. More, Lord. It's like it's just something that it, it, just, it just keeps on running like this in my heart. Father, I turn the affections of my heart to you. My appetites are too strong. Give me grace to turn them only to you, to you alone. It's so strong in me, these appetites, that I want to run all these other places, but I need, I need to be filled with you alone, and I need your grace to aim it at you because I can't seem to do it on my own. I can't aim it properly. I need your grace, God of love and power. I just, guys, I've got, I've got to see transformation in my life and in, and in this generation. I've got to see it. It's become a holy fixation. It's growing in me. It's this ache that I have. I believe that this is from God, and it's growing. But I've got to see it. Why? Because his word promises that those who ask and keep on asking receive, and those who knock and keep on knocking, that the door is opened. And our generation in the West is at low ebb in history. God is not being taken seriously. And God's people are not passionate. We have cold love. That's why. And I know it, it's not supposed to be that way. That, that's why this is growing in me, because I know it's not supposed to be this way. Everybody's not supposed to be addicted to this or that and destroying their lives. It's not supposed to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. So I'm encouraged because the upside to this thing is massive when we tap in, if we tap in, if God's grace would grant us a vision. But we must see Jesus. So, so why no transformation? Why is transformation so hard to see? It just doesn't seem to be happening. And this is what I've come to the conclusion of in my own life. We're just not fascinated. We aren't fixed upon the author and the finisher of our faith. We're just drawn away in too many ways. We don't believe what he would do if we would see See, there's a principle at play here. I understand principles, like the principle of gravity, you know. It's, it's at work. We don't even understand it, but it works all the time. It's at work, and we live forthrightly with gravity because if you don't, you'll be falling on your face and breaking your nose and, or worse, right? You have to deal with gravity. Here's a principle in God's Word in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's the principle of beholding and becoming. Now, this is the scary part, guys, because it's a principle, see, just like gravity. It's at work. Now, what it means is that whatever you are beholding, you are becoming. There is no stopping it. It just is what it is. Every second that ticks on the clock where your heart is focused, you are becoming that. And most of us live asleep to it but we're all suffering the consequences of it at this moment 
So this is the issue. We aren't seeing him well enough because I promise you guys, he is fascinating. And he is fixating. We're just not seeing him. The power of awe. Y'all know the word awe? The power of awe. I heard a message, just a little snippet of a message this week. I wanted to I wanted to go there. It's in Isaiah 6. I wanted to make a point here in Isaiah 6 because Isaiah, Isaiah saw the Lord. And some things happened because of what he saw. And I wanted to make a point about that. Isaiah chapter 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the voice and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, Isaiah saw him. And I don't think his life was ever the same after that, having seen him, seeing who it is that we have to deal with. Interesting thing about that that, that was brought out that I heard this week was, was this, this phrase, holy, holy, holy. you got the seraphim uh, around him, and they're flying. And the thing that they're saying is, holy, holy, holy. Now, here's, here's the point. They, they were not saying, love, love, love. Now, they could have said that, and they'd be right, wouldn't they? They could have said, powerful, powerful, powerful. They could have said that, and they'd be right if they did say that. But they didn't say that. They said, holy, holy, holy. See, this holy, this word holy, it, it sets, the, the actual meaning of it is just set apart. But it's so difficult for us to understand a God who is set apart from us because we are not like him. And how do you explain a set apart one who is nothing like you? How do you explain him in terms that we could understand? It's very difficult. But I do want to make the point that that's what's being said. That was said. That's what's recorded. He's holy. He's altogether separate. He's unsearchable, unknowable, beyond our imagination. It's just hard to put to words just how different different is in this case and how awe-inspiring, how captivating, beyond captivating, how incinerating. I mean, it, it, there's no way really to put words to it. But that's what he is, lest God give us the grace to see and understand. 
God, would you give us the grace to see and understand? Because we've lost sight of you. And we're not fixated. We're not fascinated. But we must be if we want to have you in our hearts and make a mark in our generation. See, here's something I'm feeling that we're just we've just got to do. And Isaiah eleven three talk about Isaiah eleven three says that that Jesus, who Isaiah eleven is talking about, Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. Delighting in the fear of the Lord. Man, if Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord, what do you think we ought to do? Jesus delighting in the magnitude of his Father. Captivated. Standing at attention. Yes, sir. Bowing in honor. I was, see, I was, I, I was in my sermon I had worked on, I was really uh, fighting with myself over this because I was, I was going to use an excerpt from a sermon, an old sermon, an old famous sermon called Sins and Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God to try to explain God's holiness because when, when, when men try to explain God's holiness and we don't have anything to go off of, see, God has to use the tiny little bit of things that we do understand. So when we would talk about a terrifying God of anger and wrath, I mean, we can sort of get a hold of that, right? Because we understand when something's big and powerful and what it can do. We have an understanding, and so men have in the past many times gone that route of trying just to scare people to death with God. You know what I'm saying? Just here he is. He's almighty. He's powerful. He's coming. It's going to be bad. I mean, he, you, we better. And so we, we go on and on and on about things in that vein. And, and, and if you've ever, you ought to read that sermon. I, I, it's hard to say. I couldn't say it. I'd have a hard time saying it, as Jonathan Edwards did. Jonathan Edwards was a, one of the greatest theologians America has known. He read that sermon in a monotone voice it said and as he was reading it the spirit of God was on it so strongly that people started falling out their chairs crying out to God for uh, for mercy and it wasn't because it was just you know words it was because God was in the words and the people were understanding I mean, and they were literally screaming, crying out. 300 salvations that day. It was one of the beginning points of the, of the first great awakening in America. Uh, God had gotten the people's attention through the sermon. But I, I, you know, I just couldn't come to terms with it. And here's why. I just want to be honest with you guys. I, God's just never been that way to me. He's never been as horrific and awful as Jonathan Edwards would say in in that message he's just not been that way to me and so I have a hard time saying something about God that I haven't experienced yet and I'm bothered by that too and so that's what I I, I came to tears this morning because I was saying God I, I can't I, I want to say this I want people to understand and see the truth of your holiness but I can't say this this way I mean why, why you know and, and the why 
and, and I feel like the Lord told me, you don't know me like that yet. And it made me cry because I thought I knew him. I think I know him. I do know him. But I know so little. And you know so little. And there is no way to explain with human words him. And yet, we must try. So then he led me to Revelation 19 this morning. And I read it. And he said, I'm coming. And when I read that verse, I read it. And then I read this message, this uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God again. I got it. In the light of what I read in Revelation 19, he's coming. And he is a God of wrath. He is no joke. So in the light of that, I can read this because I know this is the truth. This is what Jonathan Edwards said. This is just a tiny little snippet out of it. But I want you to picture Revelation 19, Jesus sitting on this white horse. He's coming. He's not a lamb. He is a lion. This is what he said. The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string, and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it's nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Thus all you that never passed under a great change of heart by the mighty power of the Spirit of God upon your souls, all you that were never born again and made new creatures and raised from being dead in sin to a state of new and before altogether unexperienced light and life are in the hands of an angry God. However, you may have reformed your life in many things and may have had religious affections and may, and may keep up a form of religion in your families and closets and in the house of God. It is nothing but his mere pleasure that keeps you from being this moment swallowed up in everlasting destruction. However unconvinced you may or may now be of the truth of what you hear, by and by you will be fully convinced of it. Those that are gone from being in the like circumstances with you See that it was so with them, for destruction came suddenly upon most of them when they expected nothing of it. And while they were saying peace and safety, now they see that those things on which they depended for peace and safety were nothing but thin air and empty shadows. Now, do I think God is angry with us? Here's what I think. I think Jesus, as he approaches, is angry. Jesus Christ took the wrath of the Father for you and for me, but he is returning with that fire that he took. 
I believe our problem at the moment is our lack collectively of being fascinated with him. Awe. Awe is to be overwhelmed. You can be overwhelmed by beauty or by fear. A hurricane or tornado can give us awe, right? Fear. Something about those things that captivate us on a deep, deep level. But you can also be in awe of the Grand Canyon or the Niagara Falls. can give you this awe with the beauty, the power, and the magnificence of it. Jesus coming in Revelation 19 is all that and more. Fear, even terror, mixed with beauty and magnificence. He is an attention getter. And that is what delighting in the fear of the Lord is. You know, I think about this a lot of times because I know the Lord to be so gentle and kind. Oh, and long-suffering. I've told you this before. He's wounded me with his kindness. I mean, he's gotten my attention with that. But I just pictured him coming in the clouds and in Revelation 19. and Folks, that's not the time you're going to crawl up into his lap. Right now is the time to do that. But he is all of that and more. That's still the understatement of the universe is every word we've ever tried to say about him. Whether it's pleasurable and nice and loving or whether it's terrifying and powerful and magnificent all words there's nothing that really says it his spirit has to say it kiss the son lest he be angry in psalm 2 i wanted to read this out of the amplified bible psalm 2 it's a powerful psalm this is an end time psalm this is in the amplified bible he says here, Why do the nations assemble with commotion, uproar, and confusion of voices? And why do the people imagine or meditate upon and devise an empty scheme? The kings of the earth take their places. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. They say, Let us break their bands of restraint asunder and cast their cords of control from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision, and in supreme contempt he mocks them. He speaks to them in his deep anger and trouble, terrifies and confounds them in his displeasure and fury, saying, Yet have I anointed, installed, and placed my king firmly on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. This day I declare I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like potter's ware. Now, therefore, O you kings, act wisely. Be instructed and warned, O you rulers of the earth. 
serve the Lord with reverent awe and worshipful fear. Rejoice and be in high spirits with trembling, lest you displease him. Kiss the son. Pay homage to him in purity, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For soon shall his wrath be kindled. O oh, blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are all those who seek refuge and put their trust in him. But are we fixated and fascinated on him enough to be doing that, putting our trust in him, seeking him, to be found in him as a refuge? Do we have or does he have our full attention? And I've just got to say to you guys, no. He doesn't have our full attention. And therein lies our problem. Are we prepared? He is coming with fire in his eyes. Have you been beholding him long enough to have fire in your belly? Because that's the only thing that's going to be staying around are those things that are like him, that have given themselves to him. I'm just here to tell you guys, I haven't. I have, I have not. I'm confessing to you, me, the guy preaching. I have not. I want to. I desire to. I pray that that is a pure thing that I say before the Lord. God, would you do this in me? Because this is what it's going to take. I've got to see him as he truly is. Not just the parts of him that I really love and like and those parts of him that I have come to know, those parts of him that have wounded me with his kindness, but all of him. It's his way. Thank God he is love. I believe God's inviting us to know him and be fascinated by him. But here's how you know you're, you're really getting close, is you start being fascinated. The truth that he is fascinating begins to take part in your life. You are being fascinated. When you're fa fascinated and fixed, you'll, you'll spend some time there. He's a leader worth following. That's what I love about Jesus. He could be anything. Look at this. He could be anything as he comes. And what does he come as a lamb? I've thought many times about Jesus' life on earth. He didn't have an easy life. If I were God, I would have given myself a little easier of a life. But when I think about Jesus and, and him being a, 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 a leader worthy, he's worthy to follow. He inspires he touches on all the heart notes that matter to us in terms of justice and kindness. I think about a coach I once had here at Vance and at Tennessee High. His name was Bill Brimer. I tell this, this story sometimes when I'm talking about worthy. Bill Brimer was terrifying and intense in competition he was very 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 competitive I don't know some of y'all might know him because he was here and was at Tennessee High for years and years and he had just gotten here when I started in uh, advance so I was an eighth 
seventh grader, and I remember talking to him after this, like years later, and telling him, you know, some of the things I'm about to tell you, and and saying, uh, you know, I, you know, tell, you know, because sometimes when you're looking at people that are older, you lose track of how old they were and all those things. It's later on you find out these things. You're like, oh, okay, well I'm that age. You start connecting some things. So he was telling me that when he was, when he was first advanced, and I was a little seventh grader, he was 28 years old, and this guy was a mountain of muscle and intensity. He was a middle linebacker at Carson Newman, and had, uh, so he was kind of fresh out of the gates, you know, still full of the competitive fire and ready to coach. And they sort of had, had the, the Bobby Knight style of coaching. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, maybe if I throw a chair across the room here, they'll, that's an attention getter. <laughs> if if uh, Coach Brimer were to coach today, he would be put in jail uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> I have just these memories of him one time. We were, me and my buddies were in the, were in the huddle, you know, little, little seventh graders over here. You know what seventh graders do. We don't pay attention to anything much. We're just having a good time. Two of my buddies over here, <laughs> Coach Brimer's in front of us trying to talk us. He grabs their two face masks and, <laughs> attention getter. What do you think that did to the rest of us? We're all, all, everybody got a little bit tighter. Okay, no joking here. He would do things like this over at Tennessee High. I saw him do this. He, he was athletic enough to uh, jump up and kick the net with one of his feet. I mean, stand underneath it, jump up, pie. He was like 5'11", 230, just boom, and, and fire in his eyes. As soon as he got onto the practice field, look out. He used to return kickoffs like the kickoff team would get out there, you know, just the kickoff team, and he would, he'd be returning it, and they'd kick it off, and here he would come. He would dare anybody to try to hit him because it was like he wanted it, like, please let me run over you. <laughs> and he would if you got, because there's, you know, junior high, high school, you're dumb enough to try it. <laughs> just get run over like a truck. And he loved it. So in, in football, you know, he loved to lead by example. So, but in football, you really can't do that, right? He's going to hurt some kids. Because this guy, he was a man's man, okay? He was a, he was a middle linebacker uh, at Carson Newman. And he wanted to play, though. I want to play ball. Let's play ball. You know, his career's over. So he really was able to shine in wrestling, though. He was a wrestling coach. And, uh, and so this is what I appreciated him and what I really saw in his life from a distance because I wasn't a wrestler. He, he did everything with those guys. In other words, he didn't stand back with a whistle and say, do this and do that. He would do it to them, right? He was in there rolling around with them, rolling around wrestling any and all of them. Then when conditioning came, he was the leader in the pack. And so he, they'd bust out of that old wrestling room down there all nasty and sweaty with fog coming out of that thing and come running through you know all us other people were in Tennessee High Viking College doing whatever we're doing you know basketball's practicing here comes the wrestling team everybody watch out because Brimer's leading them 
He's soaked in sweat. He's angry. And he's running, doing goat trails up and down, up and down, Viking Hall. And so he was leading these guys. They were always following him. So in wrestling, he just got to, you know, it's hard not to follow somebody that's going to do more than what you're going to do and what he's asking them to do. And I thought about that, and those wrestlers loved him. I mean, they do anything. They, they worshiped the ground he walked on because he just led them in everything, and he was hardcore. And he was a great man, too. Since he died just a couple of years ago with uh, pancreatic cancer, I just thought the world of him. The older I got, you know, when I was younger, I was just scared of him and wasn't sure about him. But, I mean, I liked him, but, you know, I'm like, oh, I watched myself around there. He was a great man, loved Jesus, uh, just a great man. So I always think about this in terms of Jesus, though, because Jesus, he, he's worthy to follow. He led the way. He didn't have it easy. He could be or do whatever he wanted to do, and yet he, he got down to our level and suffered the way humans suffer. He led the way. It just blows me away that God is God and that he would be this way. Jesus was dropped behind enemy lines when he came to this earth. Can you imagine? All darkness, one light. Surrounded. You ever felt like you were just surrounded by darkness? Jesus knows what, that, what that's like. He went there before you did. You ever feel like just the whole world's against you? Jesus lived that. The whole world. Literally. He's gone before you. He was born into a poor family. Anybody been poor? Is anybody poor right now? Has anybody ever been poor? Jesus knows what that's like. He had to run for his life immediately. People were literally trying to kill him right out of the gate, had to take off, run. Whole family, run. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I know it feels like it sometimes, but has it literally happened? Maybe so. If it has, Jesus knows what that's like. Genocide occurred because of him. Many, many, many children removed from the planet because of him. He knows what it is for other people to suffer because of him. Jesus lost his earthly father at an early age. We don't know how or why or when exactly, but it's a tough thing to happen to you. It happened to Jesus. We know God was his father, but certainly he loved his earthly dad, and that was something that shaped his life. Here's a big one. Jesus was a teenager who didn't use his knowledge or power. Can you imagine the restraint? Teenage Jesus. Not being tempted to 
do something to deal with his tormentors or to make his case. It's unbelievable. You ever had to wait for something? Got upset because you had to wait? Jesus had to wait. Oh, did he have to wait? Wait and wait and wait. And unlike me and you, he knew where he was going. He knew the magnificence of it. Man, he's worthy to follow. Jesus grew up in a dysfunctional family. Did y'all know this? His brothers didn't like him. You know why? Because he was the firstborn, so-called firstborn. He got all the stuff. He got the double portion. They didn't like him. They didn't believe in him. His own family didn't believe in him. Does your, does your family do that to you? You got a bad relationship? Jesus went before you. He, he's already suffered in that way. He led the way. The town rumor was that he was a bastard child. That was the rumor. You ever had to deal with that type of situation where people are talking behind your back in that kind of way? That's the rumor everybody knew. Everybody knows when you walk by what's being said. Jesus went before you. They knew the stories. The Pharisees went and dug up all the junk on him. You can read that in John 8. They went and they told him, hey, we know about you, who your, who your father is. Who's your father, they started saying to him. Town rumors. Jesus was making furniture when he was God Almighty. Oh, here's a good one. Jesus had to go to church every week and listen to bad sermons. And he still went faithfully, it says. That, that one gets me right there. It's like, I'm in, man. I'm following you. Listen, guys, he, that's before he gets into full-time ministry in that three and a half years. Imagine what he faced, what he did for you and for me that only ends with the cross. You know, we go to the cross because that's a big deal, rightly so, but there's a lot of other stuff that he did. He stood up to everything. He was fearless. He stood up to demons. He stood up to Satan himself. He stood up to bad weather, storms. Nothing intimidated him. Political pressure. He stood up to death itself. He stood up to the sin of the world. He stood up to the wrath of God for you and for me. And he took it. He went before you, and he went before me, and he is worthy to follow. But here's what I just got this morning. He has absorbed that wrath, and he is coming back. Are you prepared? And listen, I'm not just talking about salvation, because when we say that, too often do we say it in terms of just salvation. I'm saying, are you prepared to follow him in battle? Are we fascinated with him? Are we seeing him as he is? Are we, are we living 
as if he is the big deal that he really is and truly is? Are we understanding who Jesus is? Folks, we've got to be fixed on him and we've got to be fascinated by him. We've got to behold him so that we can become like him. And I believe that we at this church are going to break through in that area. And I'd ask you to pray for me personally that I would break through in certain areas that I'm after, that I must have. And I'd ask you, just I'm just asking you guys as a favor, would you pray for me that God would bring breakthrough in my life in this area? Because I want to follow him. I don't want you to just listen to this message. I'm listening to this message. I want to follow through with what I've just said. And I want the weight of it to affect my life. And I'm asking you to pray for me that that would occur. Because that's what I need more than anything in this life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending us the perfect package of your son who lived a life that is, it just cannot be said, cannot be stated well enough. It just can't be. Oh, Holy Spirit, we'd ask you to give us grace to see it, to understand it, to get a glimpse of it, to just get a taste of what it is, of who it is, of who he is. I pray, Father, we would see him and help us to stand to attention this God of glory who's coming with fire in his eyes and his robe dipped in blood. That we would see him in such a way that we would live circumspectly, forthrightly, in light of who he is, truthfully, honestly, and be transformed. Father, we ask you to help us love the way you love. But we also ask you, Father, to, to take you seriously as you took your father seriously. Lord, give us grace, we pray, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is open this morning. I'd ask you to cry out to the Lord that you could see him, know him, and experience his grace as we stand here this morning.